You know, for the last couple of months, I've been uh, thinking about my farewell sermon. You know, what do you say to people who have been your family for the last 14 years? And to be honest with you, I, I work on it here and there and push it aside because I didn't want to face it. And even this morning, I don't want to deliver it. I don't want to deliver a farewell sermon, so I'm not going to. I, I refuse to do that. I'm not going to sit up here and get sappy and sentimental with you. I'm simply going to preach what I've always preached for the last 14 years, that this is bigger than us. And by the way, nothing changes going forward. Your commitment level as a disciple doesn't change no matter who's in the pulpit. The vision and the mission of this church doesn't change. Everything will continue the way it has been. You'll just have a different preacher. And I appreciate so much the congregation here and the love that you've shown me, but also how mission-minded and vision-oriented you have been over the years. Before we jump into the lesson, I do want you to know that if you suffer from insomnia and you need a cure, you can keep up with me, the regular channels like you have done here when you were unable to come to church, you watched on Facebook or YouTube, you can do the same thing, Walnut Street Church of Christ. If you Google Walnut Street Church of Christ, you'll notice there's about 50 to 100 of them, um, but the Walnut Street Church of Christ in Dixon, Tennessee is the one that you'll want, and you can go there. We meet at 9 on Sunday mornings, 6 o'clock on Sunday evenings. You can keep up with us that way, and of course, stay in touch through email, through phone calls, through text, and of course, if you're ever in the Nashville area, I'd love to see you stop by and worship with us. How many of you here are runners? I, I hesitantly raised my hand because I've never been a runner, but I've started running at the first of the year because I made a commitment to be more in shape. Still don't enjoy it, but I've been doing it more and more. How many of you who run get up to the starting line without any idea as to where the finish line is? Those of you who run a 5K, a marathon, a half marathon, I seriously doubt that any of you just run without knowing the route, without knowing where you're going to finish, without knowing even what kind of time you need in order to compete well or to win. This is not an aimless endeavor, right? Anyone who is a runner knows where the finish line is. They know what it takes to finish. Like I said, I'm not much of a runner. But when I played sports, I can tell you this, I knew exactly where the end zone was. I knew exactly where first base was. I knew exactly where the goal was. And it's like that in everything in life virtually. Whether we're talking about marriage or a career or raising kids or whatever it is, there is a finish line to cross. There is a goal to be achieved, whether it's touching home, getting a diploma, making six figures, becoming CEO, whatever it is, you all have a goal. You all have a finish line that you're racing towards. Now, not everyone is competitive, right? You know, some people have a don't care attitude. Uh, they just don't care whether they reach the finish line or not. It's just not that important to them. Some people are overly competitive. Some people care too much, maybe, and they exert every ounce of energy and run over anybody they have to in order to get to the finish line. For some, finishing is the only goal. It's just about sticking it out, even if it's terrible. You know, you may say, well, I'm going to stay married. Your marriage may be as stale as two-month-old bread, but you're not giving up. You're going to grit your teeth, and you're going to stay together no matter what. But obviously, that's not a worthy goal either. What is your goal? 
When it comes to raising children, what's your goal? To raise well-adjusted, good kids? Or is it to raise godly kids? Some people have comp goals. In real estate, there's this thing known as comps. And what this is, is the realtor will typically look at other houses that are similar to yours, maybe in your neighborhood or around your neighborhood, to see what they sold for so that you can kind of get an idea of pricing for your home or the home that you're going to buy. Some people have comp goals. They look at the comps around them and they say, well, you know, I want to have a marriage like theirs. I want to make money like them. I want to be like them. Some people use comp goals in the reverse. Well, I don't want their marriage. I don't want to be like them. I want to make more money than they do. You see, each and every one of us has to ask ourselves the question, what's the win? Because if you don't define the win, you're just going to keep running. You've got to know where the finish line is. If you don't care where you get to, then it doesn't really matter how you run and which way you go, but this is not an aimless endeavor. The Christian life is not an aimless running. Your life and the things that make up your life matter. There is a goal, there is a prize, but if you don't know what the win is, then how will you know if you're winning? So we start this morning with the win. And this is something you're going to want to write down because this is very profound, okay? This may be the most profound thing I've ever said, so make sure you remember this. Are you ready? Here it is. Winning is way better than losing. <laughs> winning is a whole lot better than not winning. I promise you that. When my kids were little, I'd be watching a football game on TV, and they would come, and they would sit in my lap, and they would begin asking questions. You know, who's playing? Who are you rooting for? And a lot of times I would say, I don't care. But I guess that wasn't good enough. Well, don't you want the blue team to win? Don't you want the red team to win? It's like they wanted me to pick a side, and they felt like if I didn't have a vested interest in at least one team winning, then what's the purpose of watching? And maybe there's some truth to that. But our lives are not bookended by a birth certificate and a death certificate. You realize that, don't you? There's way more to it than that. There's a whole lot of matter between the birth and the death of an individual. And all that matter matters. That dash between your date of birth and the date of death represents so much. It may represent a life lived aimlessly and with no direction, thus no hope. Or it may represent a life that was well lived, racing toward the finish line. It could represent someone who lived a good, moral, decent life. But is that the goal? No, that's not winning either. So what's the win? Well, I think Paul gives us a pretty good example to adhere to. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. It's interesting that Paul's win was a response to loss. I am the least of the apostles, he said. In fact, he was never really comfortable with the term apostle because he had done so much to eradicate Christianity before he became a Christian. He was a hindrance 
to Christ's mission. He stood in the way of people coming to Jesus. He was a roadblock on the road of salvation until he met a roadblock himself on the road to Damascus, right? And that roadblock, of course, was Jesus Christ. The roadblock was a detour that set Paul on a path toward the finish line. Paul, who was Saul at the time, thought he was winning. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. You know, in any sporting event, it's easy to know how you're doing because you can hear the crowd. They're either cheering for you or booing for you. You can look at the scoreboard. I mean, it's easy to tell whether you're winning or not. If you know the game, you know the measure of success. You know how to win. And for Saul, it was obvious. Followers of Jesus were the opposition. They were the opponent. They had to be stopped. And the more he could put in prison, the more victories it would mean for his side. And he was determined to reach the goal, which was the decimation of this heresy known as Christianity. But sometimes, sometimes losing looks like winning. Anyone who plays chess or a game of strategy knows that the more you play, the better you get. In fact, it's, it's good to play people who are better than you because there's a lot that can be learned by getting beat. A lot that can be learned by getting taken out behind the woodshed, right? There's a lot to learn from losing. Saul learned way more from losing than he ever could have learned from winning. The biggest loss in his life led to the biggest wins. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. It says, For though I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may gain more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might gain Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might gain those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I become all things to all people, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. The losing Saul becomes the winning Paul, and Paul's win was to win souls. The passion he had for persecuting Christians became the passion he had for proclaiming the gospel. Keep reading. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way so as to avoid hitting the air. But I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Again, in most athletic competitions, it's easy to tell how well you're doing. You know something about the game. You, you can look at the scoreboard. You can hear the crowd. But in life, it's not so obvious. There is no scoreboard, and there's often no urgency. But Paul was determined to live a life that focused on the finish line. And he was willing to pay the price because he knew what was at stake. He ran the race as if he were lining up against the opponent, ready to shoot out of the starting blocks. He ran with urgency. He fought to the finish so that he could receive that crown of life. Paul understood something that we all need to understand, and it's this. Before you decide to run, you have to decide that you're going to win. And you've got to hate losing so bad 
that you'll do anything to win. You don't win by wishing. You win by preparing. You win by enduring. You win because you hate losing. Paul says, I exercise self-control. I discipline my body. I run with purpose, not aimlessly, so that I don't get to the end and find out that I've been disqualified because it's not enough to start the race. Starting the race is good. You can't win a race you don't start. And there have been countless individuals who got into the baptistry, who got out, they left the doors of the church building never to return. Why is that? My only guess is they felt like that they had reached the finish line. The baptism was the finish, when in actuality it's only the start line. There are countless others who were known as good starters, but are only remembered as flashes in the pan. The 1996 Atlanta Braves, they started the World Series with a 2-0 lead. Two games to zero, and the New York Yankees came back and won the next four. The 1969 Baltimore Orioles won 109 games and got swept in the World Series. Ask Lance Armstrong about finishing well. Ask Tiger Woods about what it means to finish well. Don't let your end undo your beginning. Because, folks, here's the truth. Whether you like it or not, it's true. You can't argue this. People are remembered for how they finish. Like it or not, that's just the truth. People are remembered for how they finish. You can't win a race you don't start, so starting is important. But you can't win a race that you don't finish either. And by the way, you can overcome a bad start. Many people have. You can overcome a bad start. There are plenty of folks who stumbled out of the starting blocks and finished the race. There are plenty of folks who veered off course or fell down that gathered themselves and ended up finishing the race. When I lived in Cassville, Missouri, I used to work the track meets. One year we had the district track meet in Cassville, and we had a stud runner in the 400. I mean, he was the favorite to win state even. But at district, he had to come out on top, or at least in the top two. And so he shoots out the starting block. He's running well until he gets stepped on. Somebody with their spike stepped on the back of his heel, took his shoe off. He stumbled. He fell, scraped himself up, got back up. Ended up finishing the race, even though he didn't win. He crossed the finish line, and he looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said. Holding his shoe, blood dripping down his leg, he looked at me and said, I didn't quit. To him, that meant something. It meant something that he finished that race. It should mean something to us as well. It should mean that no matter what we face, no matter how difficult it gets, we're going to cross that finish line, no matter what. I used to play golf. I got pretty good at golf, not great, but pretty good when we lived in Missouri. We moved to Abilene, the kids were involved in other activities, and so I didn't get to play as much. And if you know anything about golf, you know that if you don't play regularly, only sporadically, you can never be really good. And so I kind of stopped playing for a while and I'd pick it up every now and then. Not long ago, a friend of mine asked me to come play, and I had played in a while, so I thought I'd go with him. And after about nine holes, I was about ready to go postal. I was, I was going to break all my clubs if I didn't quit. And so at the turn, I told him, I said, I think I'm done. True story, I went home, I took a picture of my clubs and sold them on the internet that day. And I never planned to play golf again. I tell you that story because I know about losing. I know about losing. My senior year in high school, I had a pretty good year. Our team was 0-10. I know about losing. I know about losing in life. And many of you do as well. You know what it means to lose because you've endured your share of losses. Most of them your fault, if you're being honest. Do you know what winning looks like? 
I have no doubt you know what losing looks like. Do you know what winning looks like? Have you defined winning in your life? And you say, well, Chris, you keep talking about what's your win. Uh, well, are you going to tell us what the win is? Yes, I'm going to. Actually, Paul's going to tell you, listen, but whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Paul talks about the press and the prize. And I love it. The press and the prize. Great advice for all of us. But what's the win? Paul gives it to us. Did you catch it? The win is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the win. That's it. And Paul indicates that everything is worth losing for this win. I count all things to be lost. Mere rubbish, he says, which by the way, rubbish in the Greek means dung. I count everything to be dung compared to winning. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is everything. How important is it, Paul? Well, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Well, that's pretty serious. Really? Like, you're willing to, to die for this? Paul says, absolutely. I'm willing to give up everything, even my life. That was winning to Paul. And before you think that, that knowing Jesus is all about information or emotion, understand that in the original Greek language, knowing here denotes close intimacy, directly connected to surrender. Surrender is a loser word in our language, right? If you surrender, you give up. Well, that's exactly what you do in the Christian life, but it's a winning attitude. It's a winning move. For Paul, whatever he lost in life could never compare to what he gained in the next. And what are the ramifications of knowing Jesus? Well, read further. Brothers and sisters, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even as I weep that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who have their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself." Why, Paul? Why are you willing to give up everything? Why do you want to give up everything to know about this Jesus? And he says, so that I can have the same resurrection. So I can get to, to heaven to live with him for all eternity. That's a win, right? But Paul wasn't mostly focused on where he went when he died. Most of his focus was on resurrection. 
Paul's focus and win was being like Jesus, even to the point that I die like him, that I'm raised like him. That was the win. And the win wasn't just about the afterlife. The win affects how we live right now. You raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a win. You love your enemies. That's a win. You honor God with your marriage. That's a win. You treat others the way that you want to be treated. That's a win. You, you give the hungry something to eat. You give the thirsty something to drink. You clothe the naked. You visit the sick and in prison. That's a win. You take care of the widows and the orphans. That's a win. You win because you've defined winning. And look, if you don't define the win, you're going to take your cues from the rest of the world around you. And that's what many people do. You're going to raise your kids like everybody else raises their kids. Your marriage is going to look like everybody else's. You're going to work like everybody else works. And that may be okay in some cases, depending on who you surround yourself with. But is that winning? No, because if it's not about knowing Jesus, then what's it all for? It's like Solomon said, a chasing after the wind. Because at the heart of all of it, it has to be about knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want you to notice something else about Paul's win. And this is important because it's our lack of realizing this that leads to many people quitting. Not that I have already grasped it at all or have already become perfect. Too many people quit before they finish because they look at this like a dash rather than a distance. And in a dash race, you get up to the start line and the finish line is clearly in sight. You know exactly where you have to cross, and therefore you run as fast as you can to get there as quickly as possible. But it's not like that in the Christian race. It's not a dash, it's a distance, which means that it's going to take endurance. You can't always see the finish line. And so you've got to pace yourself. The emphasis is on perseverance, not speed. And Paul knew something that we, eat, we all need to realize, and that's that Knowing Jesus is a long-haul endeavor. It's a lifelong pursuit, which means that we keep running, we keep pressing for the prize. That's what Paul did. I won't read it, but it'll be on the screen here. Remember his words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, his last words to Timothy as he's passing the baton. He saw the finish line in plain view. The race was about over. He could hear the crowd. He saw the scoreboard, he saw the clock ticking down, and he's passing the baton off to Timothy, and he tells him, do as I did, fight the good fight, keep the faith, finish the course, get the prize. And that's what I'm leaving you with this morning. I'm going to leave the baton with you, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to try to help some other people get to the finish line, but it's been 14 years, you know what you need to do. I've done my job here, I really feel like. You may think I need to stay longer. Some of you may think I've stayed too long, but either way, you know what you should do. It's time to go help somebody else. I know I've used this illustration before, but in 1973, year I was born, Secretariat won the Triple Crown of horse racing. Not only did he win, he won in historic fashion. At the Belmont Stakes, he ran each phase of that track, mile and a half, he ran each phase faster and faster. He just kept accelerating the whole race to the point that the trainer said if the, if the race had been just a lap longer, 
his heart would have literally exploded. I want that to be us. I want us to be racing at such breakneck speed that when we cross that finish line of eternity, our heart is ready to explode. We're climbing, we're running, we're doing everything we can to reach the finish line. And when we cross, our heart is about to explode. And if it does then, then that's fine. We've made it. But we've got to be clear about the win. What's the win? If you don't know what the win is, then how are you going to know you're winning? It's hard to tell if you're winning if you don't know what the win is. Here's the deal. Did you know that when people think about you, words come to mind? When people think about you or talk about you, words come to mind. You know this because you do this. When somebody mentions somebody's name, you think, oh, he's so, she's so, he never, she always. I mean, things come into your mind, right? When people mention your name, words come to mind. Wouldn't it be great if we could determine what those things are right now? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if we could define how people will think of us right here, right now? Now, obviously, there's some people that are going to think less of you no matter what you do. You can't change everybody's opinion of you or control how they think of you. But we can make great strides toward being remembered well so that when people think of you, they think of a runner. They think of someone who is racing towards the finish line. They think of someone who's running the right way in the right direction, striving to win. I've thought about this a lot. How do I want people to think of me? When I'm long gone, how do I want people to think of me? And, and I've thought about it, and I've come up with, uh, with something, some words that I want to come to people's minds when they think of me. I even want this on my tombstone. Here it is. He knew Jesus. Is there anything more important than that? That's the win. Look, I, I could have an obituary this long. James could come up and read it at my funeral and tell you all the things that I did in life and where I went to school and, and, and all these different things. It doesn't matter. That's what matters. That's the only thing that matters. He knew Jesus. And that's the only thing that matters in your life as well. When you go to define the win, that's it. And if that's not your win, then you need to change it because nothing matters more than that right there. He knew Jesus. That is the only thing that matters. That's the win. So if that's all somebody remembers about you, all someone ever says about you, then what a win. And so think about that this morning. What is your win? How will you be remembered? Don't wait. Don't leave it up to someone else. It's your move. You get to decide. Define your win today. And if we can help you with that this morning, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.